You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Hey, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi. Nice. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, you're you're calling in from what I would call the good side of Detroit. <laughs> yes, we like to call ourselves South Detroit over here. We're like a big suburb. We just kind of act like we're a part of it. So uh, for everyone listening, uh, Sarah's on the Canadian side uh, of Detroit. And I, I have to share this. My very first time visiting Detroit was in 2009. A very terrible time oh. to visit Yeah, that's Detroit. a rough time. Uh, yeah. Were you scared? I, yeah, I, I had nothing to do with in real estate at the time. I was just a hooligan with some friends on a road trip. We were riding BMX, and we just put Detroit on the map. We didn't we didn't even know where we we're going, and we went and drove around. And it was the first time I can tell you in my memory I recall paying such close attention to commercial real estate because everything was with a sign in the window, a space available, closed, closing soon. I mean, it was just. It was apocalyptic uh, seeing a city like that. And then we go to the park and I remember there was a guy with a Colt 45 in a paper bag doing copious amounts of pushups and taking sips in between. Uh, And then across the river, I see happy. There was, there's a Ferris wheel or there was just like, it looked like, yeah. Okay. It was probably during our festival. Yeah. Yeah. Like a summer festival. (laughs) It was just like, what is happening here? But, um, you know, it's a very different place, but, um, I, I personally love it. I live like 500 meters or so that's 500 yards roughly from the, uh, the, the riverfront. And, uh, I look, I stare at the Renaissance center all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's really come back like the commercial real estate, especially in downtown Detroit, like you would feel very different. It's really like hustling, bustling now. So it's a great place to visit. I go across quite a bit. So maybe in a few more years, I'll give it another chance. The last time I was there, I took my, took my wife, we took the tunnel into Canada, road trip through Canada to go to Niagara. She had never been there, but in our about one hour of time in Chicago or uh, Detroit, uh, we uh, witnessed uh, a bunch of guys getting round up in the morning for loitering outside of a, a gas station, right. and we had someone throw a soda and hit our car. So that oh, was kind no. of fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? You're always welcome to come to Windsor on the other side. Technically, we've been there since you drove through. So <laughs> happy to host you. <laughs> yeah, here we go. So let, let's jump into it. I've got Sarah Sipkar. She's the founder and CEO of a company called Resumate. She's also got a second company called ADU Search. Uh, Resumate's a, uh, an online tool that is working with Canadians, helping them discover the true potential of ADUs in their own backyards across 20 different cities in Canada, which includes Toronto and Vancouver. And for those of us in the U.S. who didn't study geography because they don't teach that, that's basically like saying New York to Seattle uh, yes. is what we're talking about here. Yeah. So uh, I want to start off here because I think this is important. Your own backyard 
ADU experience. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So in 2020, uh, maybe it was a little bit of like COVID boredom or, you know, just trying to figure something out, something to do uh, income wise during the pandemic, but I actually built my own detached ADU. Um, so my own backyard home, it's 430 square feet. Uh, I was actually one of the first in Windsor. Um, so you know, we're a little bit behind when it comes to backyard homes as compared to like California or something. And so Windsor had just passed a bunch of bylaws. I thought I had a friend who was an architect. He actually just sketched up some drawings and said, what do you think? And we kind of just went with it. And I um, happened to know a family friend who was more in like the renovation business, but he said, well, I can probably build this. I can, you know, contract it out and get, get everything going. So essentially it took me about almost a year from start to finish, which was really, um, it, it was a long time. It was really complex. And it, it, it took me like basically learning a whole other language, a whole other, it, it was like a course or something like that of like project management, uh, development, zoning, everything. Um, and so I, I built that uh, ADU. It start, it broke ground in August of 2020. And then we finished in November of 2020. So, um, yeah, I have firsthand experience with, I, I like to call myself a developer now. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, yeah, so I have firsthand experience with building uh, backyard homes. Now, other than the boredom here, and I can totally relate to that. I think a lot of people can. Um, if we took a poll, I'm pretty sure 90% of our audience still has a bread machine stuffed, you know, stuffed in the, the back of their pantry now that no longer gets used. Right. But did you, Probably, did you yeah. were you thinking like, for rental income? Was it additional family members? How, what was the plan here? You know what it was? Uh, I start, I was working for like a community organizing group and I was doing like things like community gardens. And, and one of the projects we started working on was vacant buildings, actually. And I was I started understanding small scale development. Like, why are these vi- buildings sitting vacant? Like, why can't we do something with them? And so I started mm-hmm. really learning about real estate development. And then all of a sudden I realized, well, why can't I, I can just do this. I could leverage, you know, my, my home. I could, I could, you know, figure out like the costs, everything associated with it. So my, my plan was to kind of diversify my income stream is to have um, a tenant that I could help pay the bills. I, uh, a single parent, um, you know, and I was thinking like, it would be really great to have another unit so that I can um, have that extra source of income. I was also thinking about my family too. Um, My parents are both getting up there. And I was thinking like, you know what, my dad, whenever he decides to retire and, you know, needs a needs a place, like they'd be a really good spot for him there too. So I was kind of thinking like a multi flex kind of space at the time. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And so like, you know, you already own the place. And so then, you know, yeah, maybe temporarily live in the ADU, but then you have the option of, you know, taking back over residency space, in the primary yeah. home and then, you know, having your parents move in. And I think that's a common, that's been a common story. We hear more and more as people want to, you know, quote unquote age in place. The challenge is they may not have built a home that's designed for yeah. that. It's a two story home or, you know, the bedrooms are, don't have wide doorways, uh, that sort of thing. And there's certainly, uh, you know, I don't know the exact differences here between what the U.S. and Canada is looking at, but there's a, a significant population uh, in the U.S. that is going to be going through this transition over the next, you know, 15, 20 years that uh, the ADUs may offer a, a significant, uh, you know, more flexible opportunity or option than just your traditional like nursing home stage, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's a few, I I see these spaces as being really necessary for like the next generation Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that um, I I don't, 
that intergenerational living, that supportive living um, is really important um, bo on both sides, on the younger side, you know, the young adults, but then as you mentioned on the older side, uh, because, you know, the long-term care home you saw with COVID, not being able to see your family members, um, that that's just really tough on people. So these spaces kind of offer that like proximity, but you still have mm -hmm. your privacy. And so, um, I, yeah, I think, I think they're really essential. If more people can do like, you know, our mission is to help more people do them because mm -hmm. I think when people are thinking about their lives, they need to think about like, wait, could this be an option for my family? Yeah, totally. So let's jump into the details of, of resume here. So you went through your own ADU process, you got it built, you became a developer. And then now you're like, Hey, how do I give this to everyone else? Talk to me about what you guys are building and, and how this is being received. Yeah. So, um, so in 2021, we actually received funding from the federal government to build the ADU search tool. So if, if anyone wants to check it out, it's adusearch.ca. And essentially what we built was a tool to help um, homeowners, uh, it's just type in their address and then it tells them whether their backyard is suitable for a detached ADU. So we use GIS to actually, you know, measure out the buildable area um, and map it with the actual, you know, zoning bylaws from the city. Um, and so what that does is if you're someone like who doesn't know zoning, doesn't know planning, doesn't even know, you know, like they don't even know where to start. If you just type in your address, you can see right off the bat if your lot qualifies. And so we kind of came up with this like standardized system to categorize any bylaw that would affect an ADU development. And then we would factor it into the tool that way. So that was the first step. That in and of itself, let's, let's kind of pause right there. To know if you can. Just that question. If for anyone who's never visited the permitting office to find out, to know if you can, they'll say, well, submit a permit and you'll find out if you can. That's that's literally usually how it goes. Yeah. Like, well, here's the guidelines, but we really can't tell you. You'll need to go get an architectural drawing, submit that for approval, right. pay the permit fee to find out if you can, which I think is the reason projects never even get pen to paper because you don't even it, know if you can. Well, and not only don't you know that you can, it's a huge risk to put that much money up front to like For create drawings, people, right. go and yeah, like the average homeowner is like, wait, why am I going to spend, you know, a couple thousand dollars just to do this? Um, and so we're trying to eliminate that barrier. It's just mm -hmm. like, you know, right off the bat, what are some of the issues that are going to come up? We, we created a categorization system, which is like dark green, light green, yellow and red. Uh, dark green means your property is suitable basically without any restrictions for like a mm -hmm. minimum size ADU. Uh, light green is that it's it's likely suitable. There might be something that our system pulled, like maybe you're in a floodplain. That's, you know, that's common in my area. Uh, yellow means you probably don't have enough space for a, uh, a detached unit, but you, you meet all the qualifications. You could have like an attached or an internal unit. So mm. you could transform part of your main dwelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the red essentially means like you don't meet some key, um, you know, qualifications, like whether it's uh, is the zoning district is wrong or something like that. So we kind of try to flag that for like the average user just to let them know, like, this is where you stand with, you know, the zoning analysis. That makes it makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, and yeah. I, I love the simplification of it. <laughs> well, you know what? Oh, it could be that easy everywhere. You know what? I, I pushed my team really hard on it when we got the funding and they thought I was crazy. I'm like, we have to stick to like the red light, yellow light, green light categorization because the average homeowner needs to click like really quickly be able to tell. Can I? They're not going to read text. You know, we need to be like not technical as possible, but while being very technical on the back end. So, yeah. 
you know, so across Canada, and I think of Canada as like a large, there's a lot of open land, right? Yeah. And then you guys have, you know, cities, just like the, just very similar to the US, uh, just a little colder, maybe. Um, but like, what's the potential here? Like, what's the market potential, especially in the areas where infill is genuinely needed? So Vancouver and Toronto and uh, help me understand what's a good another third city. Uh, Montreal, but they Montreal, don't really. Montreal, there we go. They already have good density, so ADUs don't help them as much. But um, yeah, um, on the on the potential side, um, so we were successful in mapping like over 30 cities in that initial ADU search project. Mm-hmm. And we found that about 40 to 50% of lot residential lots um, meet the minimum requirements for a detached ADU based on the existing zoning bylaws. And that, that translated to from the cities that we mapped, like, and some of them were the big ones um, that translated to 1.5 million lots Um, in Toronto alone. It was like 300,000 residential lots. Um, And that was about a year ago. And since then, a lot of municipalities have actually even further relaxed their zoning bylaws so we think that there's even more potential. We just haven't been able to map them all. So, um, so yeah, the, the potential of lots is is very high. It's like you know, a couple million at this point. Um, and so we think that like you know, can the average Canadian um, take on this uh, project? That's a whole other story. But the from a lot potential, it's very high. So it, let's let's say people are interested now. They they want to take this project on, and in their research, they come out across resume. What are you guys doing to really help move them across the finish line to actually seeing this project come to fruition? Yeah, so um, the transition from ADU search to resume was kind of just a natural evolution where when someone would type in their address and realize they were suitable, their backyard was suitable, they would say, okay, what next? And then we were like, well, go figure it out. And we realized, wait, we need to, there's more problems to solve in this development process for that homeowner. And so Resumate kind of came out of um, the connections that we were starting to make in the um, building industry, a lot of uh, builders entering the ADU space. And so we said, well, what if we can connect a homeowner to builders um, and be able to kind of facilitate that ADU journey? And so we decided to focus on modular builders or prefabricated builders because we realized that the potential for them to be able to scale across the country wasn't being realized because let's say you're a modular builder in Quebec, which we have one that we're partnered with, they don't know the zoning bylaws or um, even speak the same language on a lot of fronts as, you know, people in Ontario and shipping a unit, you know, 10 hours down the highway um, was just like not possible because of all those barriers. And so Mm -hmm. we're trying to eliminate those barriers for that homeowner who likes the unit to be able to purchase it. And then we facilitate the install and delivery. And so really our, our value prop is just helping people um, and kind of make those connections to builders and to get a, a unit in their backyard. And so, yeah, and and let's. I want to talk about the, the like the actual construction of these units. So, yeah. I think oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this, backyard ADU has a similar perception as it's just going to be a tiny home on a trailer that kind of gets backed in, dropped off, right? Hook up power. I mean, how hard could it be? It should be that easy, right? Can you can you break down a little bit more of like the methodologies that are available to ADU construction and the route that you're recommending? 
Yeah. So there's a few different ways you can build an ADU. Uh, you could do what I did, which was like a conventional stick build, which is essentially you a typical way of you think of construction. You pour the foundation, you frame it, you do everything se- like sequentially all on site outside. Um, then there's like the prefabricated builders who build the unit actually off site. Um, and then they just um, bring that in. But there's then there's also I would even say modular, which is a little bit different, which is when you uh, create maybe like panels. So like walls, floors, ceilings, mm-hmm. and then you can assemble it on site. Um, so there's a few different ways to do it. I think there's always going to be uh, a market for custom conventional stick builds because, you know, there are those weird shaped lots or homeowners have a bit of extra cash or they want it a really specific way. And so, um, so that's a really needed, you know, service, mm-hmm. but there's this whole other problem with modular and prefabricated builders who are building offsite, but then maybe they're very far away from their actual uh, lot that they're going to be craning it or assembling it on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to make sure that that site preparation, you know, all the services are are correct. So, you know, for example, you need plumbing, hydro, all that, all that needs to be done, foundation, all that, and that it meets the zoning bylaws. And so I think that there's an opportunity to help make those connections more seamless. Um, And I also think that as you do more of them, they can, they can be cheaper. Um, Right now, the price of a modular uh, unit is not too much cheaper than a conventional build just like a basic standard finish kind mm-hmm. of one. Um, but I think as certain, um, you, like, you know, companies scale and get bigger, then they, that price will eventually drop. And you you see it in the States, like you see it in California with like Boxable or like some of those companies where they're able to get a really um, like, you know, good price point for homeowners, mm-hmm. but they, but that doesn't include all the site servicing. So then the homeowner actually purchases the unit and has to figure it all out. We're kind of offering like an all in service where not only can they purchase from like that, you know, Canadian equivalent of boxable, but then we would also then be able to um, ship it to their, to their lot and then figure out all the zoning and site servicing requirements as well. Yeah. I think that, you know, it'll take some time for some of those terms to kind of separate themselves from each other and be a little bit less of a mesh. I, you know, in some of my conversations with others, I've heard a little bit of like cross use, I think of like prefab and modular. And like I was yeah. saying in, in the pre-show, I was like, you know, I, there's been public criticism of like, why can't we just build homes in a yeah. factory and ship them? And, you know, the, the shipping part is complicated in of itself, but there's also like coordinating supplies. Like you can't yeah. just build a house and have it ready to ship because it takes a lot of space to store and it yep. takes time to build them. You know, what, yeah. what do you think needs to change even if we want to go more prefab or uh, modular to make that more feasible for projects as they're ready to go? Yeah, there was a really great podcast episode. It was um, from the Freakonomics show. And it was like, why is it so expensive to build anything? And um, one of the things that they said was in the building industry, it's like the opposite of the manufacturing industry in terms of um, nothing is is manufactured in like a standardized way. Um, and a lot of the companies are really small firms that are extremely localized, which like manufacturing is, is the you know complete inverse. Um, and so that kind of 
you know, disconnect means that if you were to build like a house off site, there's no like on demand kind of selling of it. Like you, there's, you know what I'm saying? Like you mm-hmm. can't just, it's not like a, like a car, like we haven't figured that out. Like, whereas the automotive industry has really figured out that like supply and demand and try to match that as much as possible. And then they have like the dealership outlets that do that, um, you know, selling. And we, we just have not figured that out in, yeah. in, in the housing industry. I think, that we could start to get there, particularly with ADUs. And when you think about it, you know, people like to have like a, they like to like test drive a car. Mm -hmm. They like to look and feel, they like to walk through a home. If you could have these like outposts of like ADU, um, you know, uh, I was, I was going to say dealerships, but I don't know if that's the right word, but like an ADU store and people could go and test different models and get a sense. And then they put in the order if you could start to, you know, basically streamline that whole process, you could have those modular prefab factories start to be able to produce at a rate that like makes sense and mm-hmm. is more like quote unquote on demand. Hopefully that made sense, but that's kind of like, you know, it's like buying a house, like you're buying a car. Like that's kind of yeah. the direction I think you could go in with ADUs, but it's going to take a lot. I mean, we see it with garages, right? You see it yes. with garages, carports, you see it with mobile homes, uh, I, I think of the shed business. I've actually looked into buying uh, different shed businesses. I'm very curious about them. Okay. Uh, you know, like the backyard sheds. I didn't realize yeah. until I started looking into it, like a, a, a lot of them is rent to own. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's how those businesses function. But they have, you know, lots where they just kind of put down sample units. But homes are sizably larger. So they take up more space. They take more material. You know, if it's an actual functioning unit that you want to see, like just the finishes alone is a, you know, going to be a pretty significant upfront expense, you know, that sort of thing. So I think that there's more to it than what meets the eye. Um, you know, it's a shell of a home is one thing, but truly to make it a livable space, there's there's quite a more a lot more that goes into the those dwellings. Oh yeah, for sure. Like when I built my ADU and then I was working, I was consulting for a builder here locally working on ADU developments. I had probably 20, 25 people come through it just to see it. They wanted to see it before they built their own. Um, and so there is this di- like this dilemma of like, how can you store all these different units? Like people don't even know conceptually, well, I'm living in 400 square feet. They don't know what 400 square feet even you know, mm-hmm. feels like, how big that could feel, what makes things feel a little bit bigger. And so I do think that there is an opportunity where like if somebody had like a big piece of land or like a big factory and they could pop a few of these units in, even just to feel it, mm-hmm. it allows people to then, you know, emotionally you know, or or like project themselves into the space and start being like, okay, I could see myself living in this space. I don't need all my, you know, two, 3000 square feet, or maybe it's like for my kid, they could live there. That's a great, that's the size of a Mm -hmm. condo. So yeah, there, there is, there is like that upfront, you know, sales process that we need to figure out a little bit better. Yeah. I want to talk through a bit more about awareness and education. So obviously, you know, some of the changes of, Hey, what's possible to do ADUs and, uh, even just the awareness of what an ADU is. I don't know that that's a common acronym in for consumers who they've probably seen, you know, an ADU, but maybe not immediately be like, oh, look at that ADU over there. That's really cool. They look at it as like, it's a carriage house, you know, or something yeah. like that in the backyard. Uh, you know, so what have you guys been doing to get out in front of consumer demand that does exist that's really been helping you, you know, help more people finish their projects or even get their projects started. 
Yeah, I think um, to your point, language is a really key part of it. Um, we've actually shifted to using the word backyard home because it's like literally the most descriptive thing that people can wrap their mind around. Mm. Um, when I say ADU, it's usually too technical. I have to like take five steps back to explain like why, what is the acronym? Get mean? a deer in headlight kind of look. Yes. Yeah. I even with my own, I, I with my own, I would just call it a tiny house in my backyard because that was easier. And that was like not technically the truth, but I'm like, oh, it's like I, I would I was I'm known here in Windsor as like the tiny house girl. And I'm like, OK, fine. <laughs> I was like, I'll accept I'll accept it. But uh, but I was like, I don't love the tiny house because some ADUs are quite large. They could be seven, 800 square feet, which is like mm -hmm. bigger, you know, that's, it's not that small. And so, um, and tiny homes are usually on wheels. There's a whole other language thing with them. And so I use the, we like to use the term backyard home. We think it works really well. Um, and part of the education is even just connecting with people on that emotional level to be like, what is your, what is your family situation? Like, what are your life plans? Like, you know, I have conversations with homeowners all the time and they're like, man, like the the housing market is so expensive right now. I don't know what my daughter is going to do X, Y, or Z. And so to me, it's about like planting the seed and just kind mm -hmm. of furthering them along on their journey and pointing them to good resources. We're trying to develop more resources on our side of things. We're not as developed yet. So we started this um, like AD university, which you can go to on the resume site where I started doing these like um, videos around like certain things like services or um, just like, you know, plumbing, like, like all that kind of stuff, just to give, get people like thinking mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. it. Um, but that's a really untapped um, space. I mean, in, maybe I'm wrong about this because like, there's probably a lot more content out of the United States, but in Canada, there's not a lot specifically on like backyard homes. So we want to enter that space a little bit more in 2024. Um, depending on when this airs, it's probably already 2024, but yeah, we're, we're trying to get more in the, um, in the kind of educational space of like what's involved in the whole process. What does it mean for your family? What are the things you need to consider? And so that's the direction we want to head in. I think this is a really good point for other founders listening. Uh, anytime you're changing the process terminology or you're even introducing jargon as a, uh, you know, as part of your product or, or, you know, the terminology you want to get to, you've got to meet the consumer where they're at and, answer the questions and problems that they have. And so they not, you know, the, the most common question is probably, you know, is my home capable of a backyard or something similar to that? They may not be asking, what are the setback requirements to build a backyard home? Like, no, they're definitely they, not. <laughs> so, yeah. so we have to, we have to meet the, the customer where they're at with marketing and messaging and education, even to try and help them get across the finish line. Otherwise, you know, great product, great solution. But if it doesn't connect with the customer, you know, then it's just not gonna, it may not go anywhere. Oh yeah, for sure. I would even say the average home homeowner doesn't even fully get like zoning or planning uh, at all. Um, and you not know realizing a little bit about different. planning. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. I should, I should say, I should say too. So I'm right now at the university of Toronto finishing my PhD in, in planning. Um, and I'm in the housing space. So but I don't come from I don't come to planning from a planning background. I come to it from a political science background. So I'm much more interested in like policy and like what's driving like, you know, people to create certain policies. And so I think a little bit more like, OK, what do we what's the end outcome that we want to have here in terms of the policy? Not necessarily like all the little technical things to get there. Mm. So, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And when I saw that in your bio, I was like, OK, well, I don't know how we work this in here, but I think this is a really, <laughs> this, it gives you an interesting lens to even approach tackling the problems. 
Yeah. You know what? It's like, I love the research and academic space because it gives me the freedom to like ask questions and read mm -hmm. a ton of stuff and like mm -hmm. understand it. Um, and I find academics are the worst because they have great ideas, but they have no sense of urgency. And I love the tech space and I love the building space. It's because like everything needed to be done yesterday. And so mm -hmm. I feel like mm -hmm. I float between these two worlds. And um, yeah, for your listeners or people who are in both worlds, it's honestly, I think I, I try to use it to my advantage instead of fighting it where it's like, sometimes I have to sit at my desk and read and write. And then other times I have to be on a bunch of calls and just do that. And I, I find that it's, it's energizing in different ways. Yeah. Despite your own experience and, you know, making headway into helping consumers along the way, I'm sure somewhere along the way, you either had an idea or, uh, a thought that turned out to be wrong or maybe the wrong direction as an experiment to, you know, get resume to get more traction. Can you share about any sort of experiments or, or ideas you had that turned out to, to not be what you originally thought they would be? Yeah, I would say we're in the middle of some of this discovery right now with the launch of Resumate, where we really thought that the average um, level of understanding about ADUs to that to continue on that point was higher than what it is. Um, and we're realizing that we really have to roll it back a bit. Um, mm. And we also thought that people would be really interested in the geospatial uh, data and technology that we had in a way that was like going to motivate them to build an ADU. But surprise, surprise, that's not the thing that it, it is. And so, and I'm not from like a business or marketing background. And so I've, we're working with a growth coach actually, who's been um, like critical for us in really drilling down what are actually the messages that we need to be sharing with the consumer. And so I would say, I just thought, you know, everyone was going to want to build an ADU when they saw our technology. <laughs> but then we realized that, oh, no, no, that's a very small amount of people who even understand what you're saying. So um, I've learned a lot in terms of having to pivot over the last, uh, I'll say, six months about, you know, really that messaging and how we connect with the average um, homeowner. And I would say we're still not there. Like, it's still a big learning uh, mm -hmm. for us. Um, and it's such a new industry in Canada in particular. So we're taking a lot of cues from California. But it's a different, it's still a different market here. So we're, we're learning a lot. Very cool. All right, Sarah, we're going to jump to my favorite segment of the show that I like to call for the future. You told me okay. you listened to a few shows beforehand. So you I know have. how this goes for the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? I am. All right. I, I, I remain unprepared though. I didn't prepare answers. I'm just going <laughs> to let it happen. So <laughs> I didn't want to be too scripted. To yeah. Best way to do it here. First one, what does resume look like one year from now? Okay. One year from now, we would like to help 50 homeowners uh, purchase uh, and install a backyard home um, all across Canada in one of our cities across Canada. Yeah. I love that. Number two, the year is 2030. Describe Ooh. the state of the ADU market in Canadian cities. I hope that, well, A, the term ADU is just ubiquitous and everybody knows <laughs> what we're talking about. Um, I hope that most municipalities have pre-approved design catalogs for backyard homes where buying an ADU is as simple as just choosing one and being able to check if your lot is, suit is suitable. And then basically that unit can be delivered and installed within like two to four weeks because the permitting process mm -hmm. is so quick mm -hmm. and also the on-demand, um, you know, supply chain has been developed. So 
yeah, I think we can do it in 10 years. Very cool. Number three on For the Future, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, an industry trend that I, that I, that I wish would end. Okay. Um, maybe it's something around, uh, people having, um, like thinking that nimbyism, um, you know, not in my backyard syndrome is mm -hmm. a, a reason to not, um, to not do it. Um, I don't know if this is an industry trend or if it's just more of a cultural trend, but there's a, I got a lot of comments like, oh, your neighbors are going to hate this unit. And, you know, what's the doing to your neighborhood and all this stuff. And it's been the total opposite. And I think the trend is to assume that people are actually anti-ADU, but it's, it's actually, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think a lot mm -hmm. of neighbors are really excited about it. I think um, they are really interested in what's happening and generally the, it improves the the look and feel of the neighborhood. So I, I don't know if that's a trend, but it's something that I wish would stop. <laughs> uh, very cool. All right. The last one here, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I hope that you know, that, you know, something like tech advances, I hope that all, I, I don't know how to answer this in the sense of like, what I'm trying to say, I'm going to say the inverse almost. Um, I wish that people would use technology for things like zoning bylaws, um, to be able to map model cities, um, mm -hmm. very readily. Um, you know, we're doing it with ADUs, but it's because it's really complex to model an entire, you know, official plan or zoning bylaw from a city all at once. It's like a really complicated thing, but I, I hope what people move in the direction of is that it's less analog and like literally like, you know, just reading a book and more so input it into like a program and people can just, uh, play around with their city, with their lot. And it's all automated, um, because I think we have the technology to do it. I think mm -hmm. that's the direction we need to head in. And if we really want to see more housing units, we need to like all, all municipalities need to like adopt that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I, like I answered your question in the opposite way. I feel like. <laughs> that's okay. It's all good. Sarah, this has been great. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for sharing so much about ADUs, what's happening in Canadian cities and also what's possible to happen in Canadian cities with filling you know, or providing infill housing. Before we close out, for those who want to get in touch with you and learn more about Resume, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, they can go to resumate, like R-E-S-I-M-A-T-E dot build. Um, you can reach out to me there. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, my last name is uh, C-I-P-K-A-R, so Sarah Sipkar. I'm happy to chat with anybody. Uh, we are all over in the Canadian space, not so much in the U.S. space um, yet, but if you're interested and have any questions, you can find me at those two spots. Of course, all those links are always available on the website, technest.io, and be sure to subscribe to the weekly newsletter when you're there so you can get weekly updates of new podcast interviews, as well as news and announcements from companies like Resume. There, Sarah, thank you so much. And uh, I'll be certainly be watching to see what you guys do. Until then, we'll see you later. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. 
Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the Technest team, thanks for listening.